Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, let this time be fruitful and helpful for our faith. May it encounter us with your unbelievable grace. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I'm standing here today at the new Central Kitsap baseball field. I know folks can't wait to get out there and be playing on this field. But I'm standing here with the scoreboard in the background because we human beings, we love to keep score. I mean, I've played a lot of sports in my life. I've been okay, whether it's golfing, baseball, football, basketball. Um, you know, we keep score. We have scorecards and we have report cards. That's a part of being human. But Jesus tells us a story that kind of clashes with our want to keep score today. When I think about it, I think about what is Jesus telling us about God in this story? And is God unfair? Or are we just hearing about God's radical, over-the-top, unbelievable mercy? Or both? Well, first, um, let's just be honest. Our reaction to this parable is, this isn't right. Uh, it's, um, it's just not the way the world works. I mean, what would happen if you really ran a business this way? Would you have, would this landowner have any employees the next harvest time? I don't know. And when we think about this parable, let's start by remembering that this is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven in Matthew. The kingdom of God. God's reign, God's rule, God's community, God's um, community. This is the way where God's righteousness lives and reigns. This is what it's about. And for us as Lutheran Christians, and Christians have been doing this for many years, but this is something we've talked a lot about, is that there's really two kingdoms that Christians live in simultaneously. We live in the left-hand kingdom, which is the kingdom of civil laws and, you know, businesses and all of that. And then there's the, the right-hand kingdom of God, the church, the, the gospel, the sat word and sacraments, Jesus, the Beatitudes. Um, and it's not like they don't overlap. It's not like they don't have anything to do with each other, but, but sometimes there's different rules. And so when Jesus tells us this story, he's not saying this is necessarily how you want to run your business. Now, maybe it is. I don't know. That's, that's I suppose, up to whoever wants to do their business. But this is in particular about how does it work in our relationship to God in Christ Jesus. What is that relationship like? Not just as individuals, but as a corporate body. What is that relationship like? And so in this world, in this kingdom, there, let's just start and get some real simple things that I think are great takeaways. There's no ranking in this kingdom. Paul will say it a little differently. He'll say we all have different gifts. Nobody's better than somebody else. We all have different gifts, and but there's no no, like, top importance, second importance, third importance. There's no rank. And then, you know, the people that have been a part of that community forever don't get to have a more important place than the person that's new, that shows up. 
Um, the, I think those are good applications to what Jesus is saying, but I think, of course, there's way more with that. So let's dig into the parable just a little bit here, and um, let's go to the end. The person that went out to work first, who made an agreement, I mean, that's the only worker that they actually made an agreement before that worker went out in the vineyard. At the beginning of the day, bearing the heat of the day, goes out. And so at the end, when you've got these other two groups, one that went out at midday and one that went out at the very end of the day, maybe there were so many grapes that landowner just needed more people, who knows, um, where the landowner says, why are you standing by idle? And he, the landowner just wants everybody out there in the vineyard working. So at the end of the day, it's interesting that he starts with the person, not who started working last or at first, but the person that started last. And so you can imagine that as he gave that, that denarius, that silver coin that you heard or you saw on the screen um, as the sermon title slide, um, that was like a $100 bill. It was a day's wage. And so um, if you're making minimum wage here in Washington, I suppose that's about what you'd make for an eight-hour day. But, but nonetheless, so he, he saw that um, the person that started working last was paid first a hundred bucks. And so he's starting right away to keep score. It's like, wow, if that one got a hundred bucks, maybe I'm going to get 200 bucks. Because after all, I've worked all day and they just start at the end. But the person midday gets the same amount. And then, oh my goodness, what's going on? And he gets to the person who started first and worked the whole day and he gives them the same amount. And this offends that worker. And let's just be honest, it should offend us too. It isn't right. It isn't fair. And if Jesus is saying this is kind of the way God is in God's relationship with us, is God unjust? Is God unfair? Hmm. So that punchline that at the very end where that labor that went out first gets upset the landowner says do you begrudge my generosity you got what i told you you get or who are you to tell me what i can do hmm now it is really interesting because that phrase in english is actually well in the greek is kind of an idiom Literally, it means, is your eye evil towards me? Now, this is something we've got to dig down into because in Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, if you, when we went to Israel and a lot of the markets, they had these little amulets that protected people that the people believe would protect them from the evil eye. Now, for us Westerners, we don't, that just seems like hocus pocus, you know, superstition stuff to us. But what we have to understand is that in, especially in Jesus's day, um, the eye was very powerful. And if someone looked upon you with, with greed or envy or hate or malice, it could actually enter into you and it, it affected you. It's like, some, it's like a disease you could catch. And so the evil eye, and that's what this laborer looks at the landowner with. He gives the landowner the evil eye. 
So he's not just upset. He's just not kind of, oh, that just doesn't seem right. He's so upset that he shoots malice and envy and contempt and evil towards the landowner. So this is a real offense. This is not just, oh, it kind of bugged me. It doesn't seem to make sense. No, it was really offensive. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tells a story like this with the punchline, with someone keeping score and is so offended that they want to shoot the landowner, the evil eye. Do we do that with God? I One quote from Bob Smith who writes the Augsburg Fortress commentary on Matthew says, it's simply a fact that people regularly understand and appreciate God's strange calculus of grace as applied to themselves, but fear and resent seeing it applied to others. I suppose that one that worked at the end of the day was pretty excited to get that $100 bill. You know, let's go back to Adam and Eve. Why is this person really upset? Because it really isn't fair, and, and is that what the kingdom of God is like? Well, well, let's think about Adam and Eve. God created everything, put there's a tree there. Just don't eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, the serpent really works on Eve. And Eve, Adam's an easier catch, and they both eat of that tree so that they will know good and evil. But in Hebrew, that word know actually also has a sense of deciding. So not only will they know what's right and wrong, I think they knew that anyway, they now get to decide. They want to keep score and they also want to be the scorekeepers. And that's when everything goes in the wrong direction. Why is this story offensive, especially when it comes to how we live in the kingdom of God and how in our relationship to Christ and to God? Um, I think most religions and what's ingrained in our human heart is we have a standard. We think that God, if we do this, 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 and this, we check off all the boxes, we follow the rules, then God, you're going to do for us what we want you to do. We want to be the scorekeepers, and we want to keep score, and we want, that's the way we want the system to go. And in truth, that's the way most all religions work. And in truth, that's the way even things that aren't thought to be religions actually work. Whatever your heart entrusts itself to, basically you're enslaved to because you got to do this, this, and this in order to get whatever you're looking for. That's not the way the Christian faith works. That's the way our old Adam, our old Eve work, but that's not the way um, our relationship works. And Jesus tells us this story to blow apart our want to keep score. We're fooling ourselves. Um, Jesus takes all our religious systems and throws them out into the garbage. God is going to be gracious to us because that's what God chooses to do. And are we going to begrudge, begrudge God for being gracious to others? What does it 
betray that we're thinking when we get upset that God would give his grace to others who didn't check off all the boxes like maybe we have or we think we have. It really means we are keeping score and we want God to keep score. It really means that we think um, our relationship to God is based in what we would call classically the law. Um, our religious system. Jesus says that's not the way it works. The way it works in our faith is that we are completely bankrupt, we are completely lost, and Jesus comes to save us. And it's interesting that right after this parable, Jesus starts talking about going to the cross. Maybe this parable is about what really ha Jesus did on the cross, that he gave us all that blessing, all the same, because none of us deserved it. None of us um, had, 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 you know, scored enough runs. None of us have had achieved. And if we think we have, we are self-righteous hypocrites. We are fooling ourselves. And so Jesus tells us this story to drive us to our knees, to drive us to give up on this, the scoreboard, to give up on keeping score. Because here's the deal, what I need to tell you today and remind you, of, and I, I, you may have heard this a million times, I'm gonna tell it to you again, right here, straight up. Jesus loves you, he forgives you all your sins, and you're being in the church, you're receiving word and sacrament, you're being a Christian, you're having the promise of eternal life, you're having the promise of God's presence right now in this crisis that we're going through, you're, you're all of those benefits, completely free and completely unearned on your part. So if we start keeping score, what we're really saying is that we think we got in because we had checked the boxes and we had done enough on the scorecard. And that's a lie. And that's what this parable blows apart. And it's actually good news because be careful what you ask for, folks. Do you really want God to judge you on how well you've done on the scoreboard? If you think you've done enough, well, Paul says our, all of our works are filthy rags. So what's left but to receive that gift and then go back to the parable one more time. Oh, this is awesome. You notice the ones that went out midday and the one at the end, Jesus, or Jesus, the, the landowner, didn't ask them, didn't agree with the price. He just said, hey, what are you guys doing standing on? Get in my vineyard. And they, they joyfully went. They didn't ask what, the, you know, what they would get. That's the way it is. Now, as Paul says in Philippians, we live honorably. We want to live a life that honors Christ, um, a life um, in accordance with the gospel. In other words, if someone dies for you and saves your life, how are you going to live now that that's true and that's given to you as a gift? Well, I want to live and glorify God in my life. I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. That doesn't glorify God. Somebody dies for you, you don't just say, hey, thanks a lot, see you later. I mean, especially if it's the one who created the heavens and the earth. There's an amazing scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan. It's a powerful movie, a powerful story. And the soldier who was saved by this captain and his company 
who had the mission to go out and find this soldier and bring him back safely because that soldier's brothers had all been killed and you know they were going to keep that family from losing all of their sons in in the war and so they went out and they found private ryan and they brought him back and at the end of the movie that that private is an older guy kind of like me now <laughs> and he's with his family at the gravesite of that captain who had saved his life um, and the kids and the grandkids are in the background the legacy and that soldier looks over at his wife and says, tell me I've lived a good life. And that's always struck me. It's like, man, what a weight of the law that he felt like he had. But actually, now that I think about it, maybe he was saying, tell me that I've lived my life to honor what this man did for me and dying so that I would have life. Well, I mean, we're called into the vineyard. Jesus has done it all for us. And so then Paul turns around and says, hey, let's get out in the vineyard. The landowner says, get out in the vineyard. I want everybody out there in the vineyard. So yeah, we get out there and we live a life um, befit, that befits the gospel, that honors Christ because of what he's done for us. That's it, folks. Hey, listen, that scorecard will beat you up. It's the world we live in, and we have to live in that world. And, you know, there's a place for keeping score. But when it comes to believing in Jesus... When it comes to our relationship with God and living in the community, that scoreboard has been taken care of. Uh, you could just put Jesus on there. He's won the victory. Thanks be to God. Amen.